Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of the first season of the It's All Sport podcast. My name is Joe, I'm the host of this podcast and I'm joined today by my good friend and also co-host of the It's All Sport podcast, Alex. Hello everyone, this is a beautiful project that we started with Joe uh, and we're very, very happy today uh, to deliver our first podcast episode of our first season named Communities from the It's All Sport podcast. Yeah, so we started this podcast because we found it's the best and quickest way of getting our ideas out. We both write, we both at Uni University in London, and we were getting all these ideas and all these people that we were finding, but trying to get interviews with them, trying to write all these ideas down, trying to get through graphic design team, it just took too long. We wanted to get conversations out there. So the idea of this podcast is that we will be finding people who we think fit our idea of what sport can be especially linked to communities which is the name of the first season so finding furthering or founding communities through the power of sport uh, and finding these fantastic individuals who've done these things bringing them to our studio up here in kentish town uh, the beautiful creators house who've offered us their studio and get them to see just explain to us their ideas and and how we can then take those ideas to our further lives. You know, how, how the power of sport in these communities can can be used just to affect our lives, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, there'll be a wide array of uh, guests here. Uh, but our first guest uh, is named Jack Reynolds. Uh, he's from the UK. He's a Bolton Wanderers fan. Oh, yeah. He's travelled the world always with the company of football and friends. Uh, when he got back to the UK, he created his project, uh, his uh, NGO, Football Beyond Borders. Uh, and he's bringing to the table uh, all he's created, all he's done so far. Um, and this is like a perfect first guest. I can't believe Alex managed to back this. So I just managed <laughs> to email this guy and he just came onto the podcast. It's fantastic because you couldn't have a person or an organization that more defined what our first season is about. So it's using that power of sport to find a community or to foster a community. And, and, and that community itself generates such a positive change in people's lives. So the, the organization that Jack Reynolds has set up is called Football Beyond Borders. Um, and they're based now in South London. Um, and they use the power of sport to change the lives of young people by taking football to the classroom, all right? It's amazing how, how Jack took such a cool and popular sport such as football. Uh, in order to do the tough and deep work uh, that a lot of kids need, free education and psychological work. Mm. And uh, he, he brings that to the table. Uh, and just to hear him out loud is an absolute pleasure. And uh, sure. I think, yeah, we should get going with For the recording, sure. yeah? Yeah, I hope you enjoy this, guys. Um, we'll catch you in the conclusions. Jack Reynolds, our first guest. first episode of It's All Sport. We are now welcomed in the studio by Jack Reynolds, co-founder and CEO of Football Beyond Borders. Hello Jack, how you doing man? <laughs> yeah, 
I'm good, good. I actually know it's the first ever episode. That is yeah, man, this is absolutely it. wicked. We just Thank found you. out a second ago that the other co-founder of Football Builders is in the next room completely by accident in the same studio. <laughs> the it's weirdest bad. coincidence. We would like to know just from your perspective what the journey of Football Builders has been, where it started, where it's at now and where you think it's heading towards. So, headline, right? We ultimately see football as the most powerful tool in the world for, for building relationships. We today are an education charity. So we work with young people who are passionate about football, but struggling at school. Uh, and we work with them across four years. And we say at the end of that four years, year 11, 16, you'll finish school, you'll get your GCSEs, and you'll have a whole load of uh, relational and emotional skills to support you. The way we often talk about it, though, is we build powerful uh, relationships uh, around shared passions during difficult times. Um, we always think about when people were 13 or 14, right? Crazy time trying to work out what the hell you're about, what the hell's important <laughs> to you. I always talk about uh, my stories with uh, my mom, who's a Bolton fan. I'm a Bolton fan. Uh, seeing uh, Sam Allardyce's promotion push at that time <laughs> and just like... Good old big Sam. Yeah, just that steady space, age 13, 14, when... I really wasn't sure about who I was, where I wanted to go, uh, but having that stable space. And so, yeah, uh, I'll stop there because there's a whole journey piece before that, which I never know we want to get onto. Uh, I want to I wanna get onto the, um, to the, I think it is the beginning of the journey. Is it in Brazil where it starts, oh, God, where it's it hard originates? To go all the way back, right? This is, this is, <laughs> got to remember as well. We call football beyond borders, which is kind of a daft name. Really, we, we now do education-based work. And we've been a charity since 2014 doing education-based work in the okay. UK. Yeah. Right, football beyond borders. Why are we called that? We all met at university. Uh, I grew up in Birmingham, played a lot of football. Yeah. Bunch of guys who love football, didn't like school. Most of them, well, none of us met as professionals, and, and a lot of them struggled at school. Went to uni, met group of guys who had a similar experience yeah right that's the education through yeah through but <laughs> there was a whole other twist because i was 16 in 2003 as with people who found the which was the time the iraq war after my everything happens around my birthday wow. got my heart <laughs> big iraq war protest right okay Whatever. in london in london exactly got the coach from birmingham seven in the morning we that in case anyone doesn't know that process didn't stop the war in iraq we then went to university. We love football. We also wanted to change the world. And we thought we were going to go to war with Iran. Yeah. You might want to edit all this out of the show. This is a long or story. Anyway, we were like, cool. <laughs> How, what can we do? The protest didn't work. How about we just take a football team yeah. to Iran? You did it to Iran first. Well, we Crazy. tried. You tried. We tried. We didn't work. So we got re we, the visas got rejected despite our idealism. Okay. You know, like we oh, thought football no. could break down any boundary. <laughs> Turned out it couldn't get through the Iranian embassy system. We ended up going to Syria and Lebanon and Turkey, just a football team. Okay. And we had no idea what we were doing. We just thought football was this great tool for peace, bringing people together. The Kurdish part of Turkey. Um, Doves being released, beautiful ceremony, playing against, you know, uh, army, Iraqi refugees, um, um, kind of Kurdish people are really proud of their Kurdish identity in Turkey. <laughs> we got completely co-opted. We had no idea really what we were about and um, ended up basically being trailed by the Turkish police. Wow. 
for oh and they came God. to us and he said you've done this this and this over the last five days right, they you're, were tracking in, you. you're on the side of the Kurdish resistance spies <laughs> undercover <laughs> basically you've got 24 if you're Turkish you'd be arrested but you aren't so you've got 24 hours to leave the country right, got kicked out bizarre claim to fame this yeah. is 20 uh, 2009 of being the only people we assume to have fled Turkey into Syria yeah we had to leave Turkey overland into Syria, so Syria. Then, right. anyway we then did a football tour every year, and we did one to Brazil. One's in Brazil. We oh, did right. one to Brazil. How long did you stay there? Uh, like a year. A year. It's basically 2014. Okay. Moved to Brazil with, yeah, two friends. It came about to, we were there in 2012, 2012, on a tour. And they basically said to us, look, like, the World Cup's coming to town. We're not going to get any benefit from this. Is there anything you guys can do? Yeah. Most stories of FBB began with a someone... <laughs> Who we like, who we care about, seeing, you know, is there anything you guys can do? So we just said, cool, we'll use what influence and leverage we had, which was pretty much zero at the time. But yeah. we started, the cool thing we did, still goes on a bit to, that, to this day, I think, was this thing called the Favela Accommodation Project. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Which was a cool idea. Still going on today. Really cool. Yeah, like we still, like, I mean, on a, on a bootleg way, if people want to go and stay out in, a, yeah. in Brazil, I mean, we're close. I, there's a guy, so in 20, what we're going to talk about at FEB, always power of long-term relationships that's what we believe changes the world yeah which is to say that that whole backstory doesn't really matter yeah. but in 2014 i lived with a grandma and her grandkid was 14 at the time he's part of our english classes anyway he's now in london he's now working wow. sending money home he's just finished put another floor in his mom's house in this uh, wicked favela in salvador and he's now uh, building himself one while he works over here. So, yeah, wow. long-term relationships, 10 years. Um, yeah. That's, Still that's working the with them. The work. That's um, amazing. When you were in Brazil, and then when now you're working in, I think it's Brixton, is it your, your base? Or is it South London? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brixton, Manchester. Um, Manchester. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what is it about football that have you found has been uh, really kind of like powerful for bringing these kids into the, into the roles of education? Yeah, quick answer is football as a tool for forming relationships. Mm -hmm. We have a whole theory of relationship in FBB. It's based, and our whole program comes from a theory of relationship, and this is why we think football's brilliant. We think uh, relationships uh, are built firstly around kind of uh, continued uh, mutual disclosure. Hmm. So even, you might notice I came in here, mm -hmm. I've told you straight away about me Having my heart broken. Yeah. You know, I've told you uh, straight away about, you know, my, my life out in Argentina. Yeah. I don't like talking about myself as much as it might seem today, but I've learned that sharing something about myself, you share something about yourself, mm. will bond. Forms a relationship. Right. Football's beautiful as a starting point for that, right? Because I didn't even get onto River Plate or Boca Juniors, right? We could, we could share that or story. Racing Club. Racing Club. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> niche one nice um, and then secondly we think about relationships are formed around powerful shared experiences so we think football provides you a perfect space for that continued disclosure uh, and those powerful shared experiences um, so that's for us is where the power comes from to dig a little bit deeper into that there's a whole theory of FB around ideas of uh, adolescent neuroscience yeah. and hegemonic masculinity. Yeah. And basically we see conceive of the playing of football, which is sort of 20% of our program, the actual playing of football. We see fo the football pitch as a safe space for young people to uh, experience, reflect on and learn from the full range of emotions. Mm -hmm. The range, we think the range of permitted emotions, particularly for young men, 
on a football pitch is much wider than in everyday life. It's um, controlled aggression as well, isn't it? Can be that can be yeah. part of it. The aggression part of it, the the joy, the 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 frustration, the, the kindness, words. the praise. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just and it surfaces stuff, right? And our whole methodology is around working with what is actually there. So we play a foot, you know, we'll play a football match. Let's say we've got a module around perfect penalty, which is actually very much about self-regulation and staying calm. The pitch, the classroom is about teaching that theory. The pitch is where we experience that in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it surfaces those feelings and that's where the richness of the learning comes from. Um, you've worked across like the whole spectrum of the school system, like private school, alternative uh, education, state school. Have you found that football has been the perfect tool for social inclusion across those ranges? Do you think that it's kind of like this universal language, you know what I mean? Like uh, anyone who's anyone can get involved in football. I'm a bit sceptical about the value of football in and of itself, the playing of football to bring people together. Mm -hmm. Sounds like Mm -hmm. a strange thing to say. First thing I'll say, I just talked about those tours initially. They were an absolute disaster from an international diplomacy perspective. I was chatting bizarrely to to my co-founder Jazzy yesterday. We played this game in um, the Abaca, Kurdish part of... of, um, of Turkey and the literally the doves got released it was a whole stand of people the press were there beautiful uh the healing of kind of English people and, and Iraqi refugees isn't this magical all right within a minute the ball's gone out to their right winger yeah Jazzy uh, played for Gillingham until he was 16 like quite a tough tackling left back and I just I always remember just crunched him with this tackle <laughs> yeah. the entire thing <laughs> fell apart right <laughs> and so for me actually I think there is a, a beauty in the kind of differences that that, that football surfaces mm-hmm. often more often than the kind of sim- similarities mm-hmm. um, having said that I think the the way we see the kind of inclusion of football is around the kind of the shared feelings it creates mm-hmm. if that makes sense it kind of creates a shared a shared emotional and collective experience um rather than in and of itself being innately inclusive because in many ways it's not right it's innately competitive we had this yeah, chat came in like oh god was he yeah. good enough for this team like there's a real hierarchy and a kind of competitiveness to football which i'm working out whether that's good or not I don't know if I like myself on a football pitch. <laughs> I think in ways it's quite nice to have like a, a space where you can compete. Uh, and you know that at the end of it, there may be some bad blood there, but it's not going to be anything too mm. much. You know? Yeah, yeah. With rules also, uh, I think also what's very important in football are the non-written rules, right? So, for example, in Argentina, uh, we always say in the pitch, you can foul as much as you want. But outside yeah. of the pitch, what happened in the pitch doesn't matter anymore, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. it's it's it, it creates a safe space where yeah, yeah. one can therapeutically you know take out all their emotions, Definitely. but outside then and also I think uh, by practicing a sport you kind of calm down your sort of intense emotions and after that you can have a sort of communication I with your players right. The containment of football. The containment is is, is is powerful. I'm sort of working through where I am with kind of congruence and how much I need to be consistent yeah. across all places. Okay. I'm like both relative like aggressive and like a decent, like like skillful, you know, I'll always have a relative leading role in a game often. Yeah. Not, I haven't played a great standard is partly why. And just like people just annoy me and they kick me and they push <laughs> me. And then afterwards they're like, 
It's all Everything's alright. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Shame I had my ankles not alright still. So I still, I'm still, I can't. You're there shaking with a fist clenched. A bit, it's weird. I'm not good. At least for the first time. Maybe I need to get the rules and the other team have really got it at that. Because I'm like, I don't, know if I'm, I don't know if I'm ready right now. I'm not okay. sure. It's a funny thing. I can't quite work out whether, and maybe it is a cultural difference. Because, <laughs> yeah, Argentinian football is mad for that. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, even yeah. sort of the World Cup. Yeah. Very intense on the pitch. And then, you know, sometimes outside the pitch as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we love the game and we play very intensely. I have to agree. Yeah. How, uh, I have a, a question for you more on the, on the personal side. You talked about your relationship with your mother through Bolton. Mm -hmm. So, FVB uses football as a therapy, in a sense, mm -hmm. uh, for kids. Uh, how has football been a therapy for yourself? I mean, journey when you were maybe 13, 14 years old. Yeah. How important was that? Yeah, we touched on it a little bit. Um, I mean, my, my parents got divorced when I was 11, 12. Yeah. Um, and uh, moved, like I moved, I, I grew up in Birmingham, we moved out to kind of, with my mom to the, this very small town, like, just a bit in the middle of, I don't know, just a boring town where none of my friends lived. And that's a hard time, like 12, 13, in terms of the identity yeah. that, that, that I had, right? So, yeah, it's, I always find it funny, right? Because my mom and dad were both super loving and, and supportive of me and they went different ways. But it's, so I'm always hesitant to talk too much about it publicly. But yeah. just that sense of like really being like lost, confused. What am I about? What do I stand for? And that's why that, that, that consistent place each week, up the M6, going to see Bolton under Allardyce. Um, Would you go every weekend? Well, like we had season tickets. Season so, tickets? Yeah, oh. yeah. And away so, games as well? Or? Not that much. All okay. right. I don't know, my mum was trying, but you know, yeah. like away games. I don't know, no, I don't remember that many. Like away games in the West Midlands, maybe. Yellow <laughs> and Blues. But right. I was never, I mean, outside of like, I was obsessed with Bolton until I was about, Eight or nine, you know, you know, like even my accent. I should have more of a Birmingham accent, really. Yeah. But I just used, to, I just was obsessed with like singing the songs. Yeah. Like my, this is how deep it got. Like, like not how deep it got. Maybe I'll, I'll tell you two stories about my obsession with Bolton. I don't think I've told these before. <laughs> One, I was, I used to, oh, Bolton was sponsored by Reebok, so I'd only wear Reebok. Only Reebok. And my dream is like pre-internet, really, was to just get the only thing I couldn't get was Reebok underpants. What <laughs> Reebok underpants? Yeah. The second thing, it's going to make me sound weird, is that I used to get, I got really worried about going blind. You know, when you're just a kid, you have like weird things that you yeah, worry yeah, about. Yeah, medical worries. Like a friend of a friend who went blind, and yeah. I was just like really scared about it. I used to be scared of the dark because of that. And I used to have this thing that maybe I'll go blind yeah. every night. And I used to have, I don't think you'll know who he is because of your age and he wasn't that famous, but Bolton's striker was a guy called John McGinley. Okay. Who, he just scored a load of goals in like the championship division one. Kind of the childhood like, hero. Yeah, exactly. And like, I used to, my mum used to come in and like, be like, oh, I'm going to turn the light off now. Yeah. And I used to have a photo of John McGinley like on the wall opposite my bed. And it's all right. Last thing, just if I go blind in the night, like that'll be the last thing. I'm <laughs> so I did the exact same thing with Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> the exact same thing, man. We were so weird. Oh wow, what with the fear of being blind? No, I was just like, yeah, good night, mate. Then... <laughs> I don't know who's weirder. It. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe mine's weirder. Did you have dreams about Ronaldo? I mean, yeah, you? we're not going to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I wondered if you could touch on a story that I found really interesting for FPB, which was her stories. Mm -hmm. um, the first published book that you released. 
Um, and from my understanding, you it was post lockdown, wasn't it? Or like as lockdown was just kind of exactly. easing up around that time, yeah. yeah. And you, uh, you could explain a bit more about it better than I can, I think. So, it's a long story leading up to that around our work with girls. My whole story really is, is you know, around the boys I knew growing up, and very much at the start was about boys. Um, for a long time, we didn't work with girls in the early days, and we've always had head teachers. We'd love to work with girls and said, A, they don't like football, and B, they aren't a problem at school, so you don't need to support them. So, it's a whole journey around how we would move beyond that. Um, we hired someone called uh, Salon, who's now a had a brand who was really passionate about this stuff and just kind of got it going basically. And, you know, today girls are sort of um, 35, 40% of our program. And I would say our work today is more effective, more important for girls than it is for boys wow. based on what, what are the important things about our program, right? One, a sense of belonging, uh, a sense of kind of uh, a supportive uh, peer network. And, and, and thirdly, that kind of safe spaces to share the things that are going on for you. Yeah. It's really still really, really hard to be a girl, a teenage girl, to be a girl in secondary school. You just look at the stats mm-hmm. on it. It's much, uh, an average level, f- way harder. Like boys are still top top dogs in school. Um, girls' identity often defined in opposition to them. And all the girls who most need to keep on playing football stop playing football at the stage when they really need it 12 13 so mm-hmm. so the whole cultural change going on around how important it is for girls to play football and it's so wicked that even though it wasn't my own sort of story or passion that it's now a massive part of our work mm-hmm. her stories came around about partly because of that which is that teenage girls are rarely celebrated in our culture we've just had a report out uh, last week about teenage girls relationship with football and one of the conclusions was it's amazing the journey it's been on and you know people like the fa nike have pushed so much into making football more culturally relevant for girls yeah but still they're saying look like it's not cool to be a girl who plays football actually the kind of cultural mashup between football and fashion football and music it doesn't really exist Mm -hmm. for girls and so part of what we try and do the kind of fringes with our brand is create really cool ways of telling stories about teenage girls and that was really what her stories was about her stories the history her story play on words often written out of history don't get a chance to be celebrated to tell their stories and it's yeah beautiful piece of work such an interesting project um and i had absolutely nothing to do with it (laughs) 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 you know it was a it was a it was entirely you know, group of girl, a group of women and, and young girls who who did all the work around it. Salon mm-hmm. particularly important. And actually, to be fair, Jazzy next door in case he's he's over here and had a, a real kind of view around how it, how it should look as well. But it was um, yeah, it's nice when you get bigger as an organisation, right? That um, I increasingly get credit for things that <laughs> have genuinely. I mean, I'm not saying this on like a humble one. Genuinely nothing to do with me hey you know more about it than we do so <laughs> yeah, we're we're talking about it i read it so much and i've got um i've got a two and a half year old daughter now and um oh it's is she a bolton fan <laughs> <laughs> oh embarrassingly we yeah. have a weird, weird, no she's not i bought her a bolton kit and then she's got this mate and we're like if her mate wears the kit then like she'll want to wear it. the mate wore the kit this is how deep I'm thinking about these things. And then the mate just likes the kit and she won't get back to Zinni and now the mate's going to be a Bolton fan probably. <laughs> <laughs> so no, she's not. But, it's but, the seed. but I went, I remember I went to the, uh, we've got tickets, a lot of tickets, I think for the FA and, and like to the, a lot of the Lionesses game in the Euros and we had mm-hmm. girls going to all the games all the way through. 
but I went to the first game at Old Trafford uh, against Austria and it was so wicked to be in a space where Manchester a lot of football it was never a cool thing but just to have a little girl who's so she just loves jumping she's super physical she's probably going to be passionate about football or at least passionate about movement mm-hmm. just to be in the ground where it's celebrated it was mm-hmm. probably my most oh I don't know after Argentina winning the World Cup <laughs> <laughs> too like in the last yeah, year like the big, the big well. emotional moments for me great great yeah so, for me too yeah me too. I was actually here in London I went to celebrate at uh, Trafalgar Square. Oh, you did? Yeah, with all the Argentinians in oh. London. It was a uh, that was that was probably the most emotional moment oh, of, of my life. Must have been incredible! <laughs> wow. I can remember when uh, the Lionesses did win. I was actually in the pub where I was working, um, and they had it up on the big screen in the middle. And a lot of the people who worked at the pub, because like they get football fans in all the time. And they end up not really liking football because of the football fans that end up coming in. And they don't really associate with a men's English football team. Yeah. They're just like, oh, just a bunch of whatevers, you know. But the English women's football team, they were fully behind. And everyone from the behind the bar came out, started watching it. And when it won, it felt like a real moment, you know. Like they weren't, in the interviews afterwards, they weren't necessarily media trained either. They just seemed like they were just like, this is just the most crazy experience ever. Like, oh, uh, yeah, there was some great moments, weren't there? Uh, around that yeah it just felt fresh real mm. authentic exciting it was a it was a beautiful summer um, another uh, organization that i think uh, has been really uh, interesting in football and builders is the no more empty chairs campaign i wondered if you could speak on that i can talk all about no more uh, empty fair. chairs um, <laughs> again it was led much more uh, i had a policy time guy called joe watford um was the kind of really really pushed it um but this idea that we had all, off the back of lockdown, had an experience of what it is to be at home, absent from school. You know, we just have to have our kids not going into school on a daily basis and had a real sense of how weird and difficult that is. And off the back of young people going back to school, we felt it was really important to remind everyone to, to get people to connect with the fact that there are still a lot of empty chairs in school. And mm-hmm. that continues to this day. You know, so we talk about school exclusion. We talk about it in a very broad way, right? These are young people who are not in school. And so probably three years ago, a lot of it was about permanent exclusions, you know, issues with behavior, kicked out of school. Now there's this whole concept, I think we talk about a million young people who are just not in, not going to school, right? That is regularly oh, absent well, never school. did. Just, just haven't come back really off the back wow. of COVID. I mean, loads of things mixed up with it, but... Um, you know, we talk about 4,000 empty classrooms, you know, in the country every week, right? Just all these young people for whom, whether it's mental health, whether it's having to work, whether it is um, issues with travel, like there's just, we just, a load of young people who just not come back to school off the back mm. of COVID. Wow. Um, and we all know how hard it is if you're just basically absent from school from age 12 to 16. Like what, mm-hmm. who, where are you going to be? You're yeah. either going to be at home, often in difficult homes or just not. I just rate, I just rate being a, the, the parent of being a teenager. It's, it's, it's strange to say, right? But it's going like, to come and yeah, well, 10 you years. Got, you got to be out the house though. Yeah, you got to be there. And like the idea of like kids just not being out and about, not seeing people. Mm-hmm. And then also it obviously then means it lends itself to all sorts of exploitation. So kids you get involved with county lines there's so much stuff where if you're not held in a school you don't have that routine you don't have those relationships life can go really wrong mm. really quickly how do you even approach that as a because I, I would have thought that you would have 
um, approach the most amount of children through the schools that you were working with? Or have you got like separate centres where people come just to play football and then... No, we don't. And these are ongoing discussions, right? No. So we, we're very focused on what we do, despite my slightly tangential storytelling style. We exist to keep young people in mainstream school and we work with these young people through being commissioned by the school. Mm-hmm. So the reality is, I mean, there is, I think, a whole other level of need beyond most young people who are absent from school are on a student role. Mm-hmm. So there is, you know, so they will sometimes be on our programs, right? And then it's about the home visits, the calls. Often we'll have plans with schools where they'll only come in, they'll come in initially, can they come in for the FPP session, right? Let's start getting a habit mm-hmm. back. Um, <laughs> I was remember a year or two ago now. We used to have a school where, Kids, it's not good, it doesn't always happen, but just a powerful image of uh, it was an alternative provision school, so it was kind of all locked, it was hard to get into, and they couldn't get this kid in. He just wouldn't come in apart from for FPB, and then they're like, can't come in for FPB anymore. And just an image of a kid who we were told was always not going to be in school, didn't want to come to school, scaling this like <laughs> nine foot fence to try and get into our <laughs> session. So, wow. we have a role to play, and that's about tapping into people's passions creating a space where young people feel like they, they are successful, where they're appreciated and where they have a really beautiful time. So, uh, but it's hard. We're not like the like frequent absenteeism, people talk about ghost children. Mm. It's like, it's deep and long work to, to, to try and change those outcomes for those young people. When, when children access um, FPB's programs, um, what, what would you say is um, the factor that attaches them to keep on going to FPB? Um, uh, and is it, uh, do they feel a real sense of community inside you? Yeah, you, you come, come for the football, stay for the relationship. You come for the football, stay that's for the relationship. What, what that's what we're football. About. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the whole thing. That's the thing, it's just popular. Well, it's like football is a sort of Trojan horse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It used to be too deep. That's we, how you lure them in. It was called these, like, um, we now, we now, with pride, talk about ourselves as therapists in tracksuits, as, as I'm sure you've seen, but it used yeah. to be like, this one kid, but like, you guys are just, we clocked it, you guys are just teachers in tracksuits, you know? That's and then you, you made do. it a logo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then we, we kind of embraced it. Um, oh, wow. No, like, it, it begins, and there's a whole thing, you ask young people why they want to be on FEB, even you track it from year eight, year nine, year 10, year 11, year eight, we had a we were on a had a show on radio, uh, BBC Radio Five Live. A podcast came down, and it's all about. See, so we get this spiel. It's all about a relationship. Imagine, yeah. it. and then like, cool. We'll do the interview with young people. Like, what's your life about? Why are you on FBB? Oh, we just get to play football. Yeah. Like, it's, not, it's not the line, you know. It's not the line. Can meet this older person. They worked it out. But but, and I think that is a, one of the things that FBB have had to be great at, and have really is we are experts at engaging young people. We work with young people precisely because schools don't know how to engage them yeah. because they are disengaged. Mm-hmm. And so football is this beautiful asset-based way to, to, to get them to turn up initially. Um, but very, much, very quickly, very much becomes about the role of our practitioners. You know, ultimately, we, used, we ask ourselves one question, which is how do we ensure our most vulnerable young people can thrive in mainstream school? Yeah. That's the foundational question at FPB. But very quickly, we realised that actually, we talk about programmes, classroom pitch, curriculum, that's all great. Really, what is the mechanism of change? What keeps people turning up is the relationship between practitioner and young person initially, yeah. and then between the young people okay. themselves. Great timing. Next week, we've got a dinner. Uh, we sort of our first ever group started 
10 years ago. So this well, school 10 years how, ago. How old are they now? Uh, 22, probably. 22? Yeah. Maybe similar to, to, wow. to, to the, the creator's house. Um, and um, anyway, they are still friends, a lot of them. And we had a beautiful moment uh, a, year, a year or two ago when Arsenal created Crystal Palace. Um, there was a kid at the game, and he was actually a steward. He said, oh, wow, you, you, you're a steward. Cool, how you doing? He said... Um, Oh no, I'm a student. I'm also studying. I'm at, I'm, at, I'm at uni. Oh, cool. Where are you? I'm at Kingston Uni. Wow, you're at Kingston Uni. Okay, yeah. How are the rest of them? Oh, well, seven of them are at Kingston Uni. <laughs> five of them are doing. Five of us are doing sports science. <laughs> Six of us live together. <laughs> and we're like, all right. Well, cool. <laughs> That's kind of. And, and the maddest thing is the reason they said this is careful messing with young people's lives, right? The reason they all end up going to Kingston was that none of them had ever been to university before. Yeah. This is first ever FPB group. No, no money, no mates, nothing. But we knew someone who worked at Kingston University in the sports science department. So we were like, right, okay. we've promised these guys. We've done the Scotland trip, got the bibs. Can't do that again. Yeah. But we had a friend who worked in the sports science department at Kingston Uni. Cool. Okay. All right, I'll host you. I'll get you on the leg strength machine. Took these guys along. Obviously made a massive impression on them. And eight years later, seven of them are studying there. Amazing. Uh, and living together. So yeah, the relationships is, is the key. Is the key part. Mm-hmm. Okay. And has, has any of these states, uh, state school or mainstream schools, as you, you call them, uh, have ever approached you uh, in terms of like you giving them a bit of what Football Beyond Borders expertise has gathered or, or not? Yeah, that's or do, a do sick, they, yeah? sick question. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the because FBB is based on the question, yeah. what does it take for most vulnerable young people to thrive in mainstream school? Yeah. We're always adding things in service of that question. Okay, so, so you add to the school system as well. So to say, like, so it's like it was just literally an hour in the classroom, hour on the pitch, right? right? That was it. And then this tour to Scotland. Then we said, cool, we actually, a lot of our young people are really struggling still. This isn't enough. So we then added this one-to-one therapeutic mentoring, these trips. About two years ago, we realized that we weren't going to make any more progress with these young people unless we were able to change the cultures, the values, the behaviors within the school system itself. Okay. So... The next big stage for FDB is around the training and development of teachers. Teachers, yeah. right? So right. it's um, yeah, you're ahead of the ahead of the curve on it. Definitely <laughs> not right. That. When do you think that will? No, it's happening. It's happening. So it's we started with ten. Yeah, there's right. ten schools this year. There's wow. ten schools this year. Yeah, right. and, and then um, yeah, it will it will keep on going. We work so closely in partnership with schools, and for whatever crazy reason, we've just we've become obsessed with what is going to make a difference for these young people. Yeah. And we've just had that very particular focus. You know, this is 5 to 10% of students in a the school. They're students who it's often, well, often easy to ignore or impossible not to ignore to the extent that they end up getting kicked out. Yeah. We've just focused on those young people. So we've developed quite a mad level of expertise around what we think will make a difference for those young people. Okay, welcome to the concluding remarks, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, Jack Reynolds. We certainly did. Um, Alex, what are your thoughts on that? What What can we take from that interview that you're going to apply in your life, do you reckon? I mean, first of all, Jack's life uh, seems fascinating to me. Uh, and football beyond borders uh, as well. I think I would like to first dig into the fact that Jack started out... Um, with a passion, which in this case was football, 
a sport. Um, and that he acted upon that passion, not uh, with himself only, uh, but that he found friends in the way that helped him build sort of teams around um, around football. And they helped him build certain little projects that they had at university and that all in all, they all helped themselves in order to find the funding uh, to carry out their passion and to carry out the social work that comes with the passion. I think that that's one of the main takeaways. For sure. I mean, the actual organization itself is community based, you know, but taking it back to his way of setting up that community, the fact that he just did it with his friends at university, which let's be honest, Alex, that's what we're doing right now, you know, <laughs> exactly. at university with our friends. We relate. Like, of course, it's something that would inspire us, you know, that he has managed to build such a fantastic organization with his friends, essentially, and through just exploring a passion, exploring that curiosity, he's managed to travel the world, you know, like gone to so many different places, changed the lives of probably thousands of people, you know, um, and... I think there's something really powerful about that, um, that sport can, that can become a vessel to, um, to, to facilitate such a, to such a desire. Um, I think taking it to football being borders itself, what I found quite interesting was that sport um, can be used as such a powerful tool in that way. You know, I mean, even if you look at Jack's life, right? So he said that he had a rough breakup, went to, I believe it was Brazil, or maybe it was Argentina at that Argentina. point. Argentina, yeah. of course, you remember <laughs> that. <laughs> and immediately football was his way of getting through that you know it's almost like a therapy it's a way of controlling those emotions but still feeling them like he can feel that aggression he can feel that sadness but he's feeling it in a situation that has an end result and it has safe borders and it has your friends and your teammates around you at all times and it's a way of of using something that engages people around you um, to kind of build its own little microcosm of community, you know? Like, you're basically having a conversation on that football pitch. Yeah. You know? um, and it's amazing that football and boarders have, have used that, you know, in their teachings, that they've used psychology, they've used... I mean, you, you know more about this, was there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used attachment theory, which we, we was mad about it, is that I actually go to a, a therapist since I was uh, 16 years old, back from Argentina, uh, and he used the same theory <laughs> with children, uh, that Jack does with his Football Beyond Borders program. Um, so, yeah, I think what's really, really sort of innovating, in a sense, from Football Beyond Borders is that they use the sport, the popular sport that football is, for children to start finding uh, attractiveness in, you know, building up their education, building up their psychological um, traits, you know, sort of becoming adults. And it's people that, you know, from their background generally didn't have the opportunities to build on those traits. Uh, now football beyond borders just bring them brings them these incentives that, you know, for me, they're very, very innovative and they're very like positive towards mm-hmm. the the UK and society at large. Yeah, and then and then nice thing as well, I mean, we got this from the showcase that we went to, was that it, the, the people that they have on their programs don't even have to like football. Like they just have to like the the messages and the power that football can actually represent, you know, which is community, is fun, is engaging. They don't even have to have any interest in football, um, but it can still have that power, you know, yeah. which is fascinating. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that, I mean, it takes it back to what I think is so interesting about our podcast is, and what we're trying to find here is that sport is play. 
you know, and play is forgotten about from when you're younger. Um, but play is so important in fun, like those fundamental building blocks of your social inclusion and your, and your, your growth, you know, and sport, I think can sometimes be forgotten, um, and disregarded as just a thing for jocks and for meatheads and for people that just are too competitive, but essentially it is play. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel also what seems a little bit playful in Jack's story is that he's always been very curious and he's always been very open-minded and he never backed down on the opportunity to travel and uh, meet um, new people from new countries. I mean, he talked to us, uh, he went to Syria, he went to Turkey, he went to South America. He's been all over uh, the world. Uh, and yeah, I think that's that's a quite good takeaway because it's also what led all sports in general and it's all sport the podcast uh, to come to life. It is people moving around, uh, identifying new people, identifying new ideas and sort of trying to build a community on top of it. For sure, man. For sure. All right. If I had to fire shot you with <laughs> the free takeaways uh from this episode joe you you gotta say them in like a short sentence okay believe in sport explore your passions yeah and just have a laugh all right yeah come on guys go on yours uh, (laughs) (laughs) my my free are um remember to play remember to travel if you can and go to therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, too right. That's a good closing <laughs> remark. All right, guys. Well, we, I hope that you enjoyed this first season, uh, first episode of the first season of It's All Sport. I hope you enjoyed this, guys. Signing out. See you guys. Have a good one. Bye bye.